Hello there once again, fellow Peregrinos. Welcome to the Camino de Santiago Pilgrims podcast, where we talk about planning and preparation for life on the road to Santiago, as well as tips, tricks and hacks to make your journey along the way a lot more enjoyable. In this episode number 11, we're talking to a lovely young lady from Germany who as it happens, is also a master student at the Royal Academy of Music in London, where, get this, she's a violinist with the Royal Philharmonic, so again, a Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. Um, so she's recently walked the Camino Portuguese coastal path, to be exact, um, and she's about to give you an absolute Camino de Santiago packing masterclass so strap yourselves in enjoy the ride and we began as always by asking Johanna why and how she decided to walk the Camino de Santiago here's what she had to say well it's actually it goes many years back I think at least um five or six so something inside of me just, you know, wanted to do it. And at that time I was in a relationship. So I convinced my then boyfriend to do it with me. And, um, but then like we, we went and did a, um, a part of the um, Camino del Norte, like on the Spanish coast. And, um, but that was only two weeks and I loved it. But then already when I did it, when we were walking together, I was like feeling something inside of me. It was like, no. I want to be alone. I want to do this on my own. I need to do it on my own. And then um, we went back to Germany. We um, split up. And then like many years later, there was still, you know, this nagging feeling that I needed to go back. And then I planned it for last summer, like the summer before this one. And um, it didn't work. It didn't work out for various reasons. And this summer, I finally then got to do it. I, I don't know, actually. There was just, you know, this feeling of, needing to be alone, needing to um, accomplish something completely on my own, being completely just rely on my own, um, the physical challenge as well, of course. And um, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. But I think the biggest, the biggest factor for me was that I wanted to be alone and in silence and really have time to find back to sort of myself my own strengths and everything going on to a bit of default mode yes exactly Restore i do factory settings kind of thing exactly exactly <laughs> i do a lot of social media and like i think my job like what i do it's very it needs that sort of promotion constantly networking getting to know people there's different people that i work with literally every week and i always have to you know um, adjust to new situations, new people, new musicians, and um, yeah. So sometimes it's really hard, amidst like all these chaotic things, to know your own, like to know yourself and to know who you really are and what's important for you. And so I really mm. wanted that. I wanted to get as far away from my normal life <laughs> and um, just be on my own not have any other people around, not have a phone around. I took a social media break as well, which was really great, and which I would recommend 
everyone to do. And um, yeah, so I, I needed that and just to walk, just to have a simple life where I didn't have to, you know, think as much as I normally have to. And just to, to feel, to, to start feeling my body again by just walking, sleeping, eating, being outside in nature and in silence. And I mean, I live in London, so it's a really hectic city, really loud, right in the center. So, um, yeah, I think that was that was the main point. Okay, so so much to unpack there. Um, first of all, if we go back to the start, um, it's, you said it was five or six years ago that you first heard about the Camino. Um, could you, would you mind saying uh, how and where you heard about the Camino? How did it grab you? I don't actually know. I, I can't. I, I mean, I thought about it and I can't actually remember. I can't come up with like one event or one person that taught me about it. It was just there. And I think it's also like, when I came back, my dad all of a sudden started to talk about the Camino. And I was like, okay, like, why do you want to do it? Like, you never spoke about it before. And he was like, well, there's just this something inside me keeps telling me I need to do it. And that was pretty much what, what happened with me. Like, something inside me just told me that I had to do it. And I knew that I had to go. Like, th there wasn't a particular reason. It was just there. Mm. <laughs> And you obviously had a taste of that um, when you walked two weeks on the Camino del Norte, um, and you 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 liked you liked it. You kind of cut your teeth on a shorter Camino with your with your ex boyfriend. You said, and yeah. then you moved on to making the decision to walk in the Camino Portugues, which was this summer just gone, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. I, I tried last summer, but then I got invited for concerts. I cancelled the Camino for the concerts, then the concerts got cancelled. Okay. And <laughs> so that was a bit of, bit of a shame, but yeah. I'd like to dive into your your profession um, in a little bit as well, because I, I'm a, a, a musician as well. So everything you're saying, I can definitely relate to um, that. Yeah, social media is a big part of our job and we have to be constantly self-promoting, even if we don't like to do that, if we're even not that kind of people, we have to take our kind of personal head up and put our sales head on in some ways, which is not always easy to do if you're not that kind of person and you're more, more of an arty or creative person. Um, so I'd like, it'd be very nice to dive into that part in a little bit, but just for now, um, I'd just like to ask you specifically about your Camino Port Portuguese. I'll try and say it in an English accent instead of Spanish. Uh, Camino, your Portuguese Camino. And where did you start and how did you get there? Um, I started in Porto, so I just, I, I flew to Porto from London Gatwick, it was, I think. Yeah. So I just had to fly to Porto and then, um, I took the, the train to the cathedral in Porto and from there I walked. So I didn't, I didn't take the bus to Matasinhas, which is what many people do. So I actually just walked from Porto to Matasinhas. That was like my very first stage, which only was like 12 kilometers, which was good though, because like, I mean, I had spent the day getting to get Gatwick Airport, getting on a flight, then um, sorting everything with the trains and everything. So I had been on the road and sort of traveling already for, I think like eight, seven, eight hours, something like that. So 12 kilometers was just the right first stage to walk and it was nice to be in Porto in the city a bit to walk alongside the river and yeah that's how isn't it the 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 
port, the Porto part of the Camino Portugues. It's absolutely beautiful. Oh, it was it was the best. I mean, that was only like the very first day, but like then the following days, it was so beautiful. All the port walks by the beach, and I mean, I did it because I wanted to be close. So you to took the coastal route. I did, yeah. Right. Um, okay. It's absolutely fantastic. Like Portuguese beaches, they're like I don't know, like nothing I've ever seen before. They're so like rough and steep and clean and white and beautiful and just incredible and then all the surface it's just great so yeah that was that was great and i missed it a lot once i once i got to spain and had to walk inside obviously. why did you choose the um, the coastal route instead of the inland route because i wanted to walk by the sea right living in london or in such a concrete jungle that was the draw for you well, I'm just generally a sea person, I think. I love the sea. So whenever there's water, I I have to go there. And I mean, I went swimming most days. And I mean, how incredible is it? You start... Did you, did you swim while you're, while you're walking the, the Camino? Yeah, some days. Fantastic. I mean, I actually, I felt a bit sad because like at some point I realized, okay, the only reason that I didn't go swimming is because... I didn't want to spend the time because it takes such a long time. But then I always try my, try to remember myself, okay, I, I should stress that's holiday. It doesn't matter whether I get to a place one hour or two hours later. So, um, yeah, and I started to go swimming. It was great. It was really great. Okay, so you've managed to get yourself after five or six years that little bit of headspace that you're looking for, a little break from performing um you how many how many people do you perform in front of each concert more or less just out of interest sorry how many what how uh, how many people do you perform in front of at your concerts okay oh, it varies i mean like the biggest concerts might be i mean i just played a concert at the henley festival i think they had like six thousand seats right um it, it really depends it goes from 200 to 2000 so and um it's different settings, different audiences, different halls. And then it's just you after all of that. It's just you and the sea and the sky. The yeah. Camino. Beautiful. So uh, Actually, I had some right before flying to Porto. I played some concerts in the south of Spain, finally. So then I was back in London for three days. And then after that, I was back in Porto straight. And... Um, I actually had that there already. So all the concerts that we play, they were right by the sea. And um, we were there with an orchestra. So I was playing two pieces, no, three pieces as a soloist with the orchestra. And then while the orchestra would go on playing the second half of the concert, I would always go swimming at night at the sea. So that was that was something that I had there already. But then, yeah, that was amazing. That was just a little bonus that you got to do it um, in your concerts and on the Camino as well. So you're getting your, your sea fix during the summer. I This summer I did, yeah. Absolutely beautiful. Okay, so um, you've taken a break from your, from your concerts. You walk in the Camino, Port, uh, let's say the Portuguese Camino. I keep reverting to Spanish there. And first few days, um, how were you, how were your feet? Because sometimes, obviously, from... 
going to not walking very much to walking a lot, you can get some blisters. Did you have any? And if you did, how did you deal with them? Well, first of all, I would consider myself as a fit person. <laughs> so um, in shape in general. And even like before I went to Spain for the concerts and in that short intermission that I had back in London, I walked tons. Like I walked at least like four hours a day just through the city to like run some errands and everything. So I would do all of that just walking and not taking any trains or Ubers or whatever. So I would just walk. And I think um, I got used to that. I got used to walking a lot the weeks before slowly. I mean, I didn't didn't do like a training. I didn't make a training out of it like some people do. They'd be like, well, I need to take my backpack and walk through the cities to get used to it. So I just, I don't know, it just happened naturally that I was walking a lot more the weeks um, leading up to the Camino. And um, then I actually, I had a bit of a disaster with my shoes. So I had bought some hiking boots with like ankle support roughly three weeks before. So I, I had plenty of times to, you know, break them in and I walked a bit in them. But then when I was walking in them, I realized, okay, it feels a bit like, A, they're too hot because they had like Gore-Tex and everything waterproof. And um, B, I felt a bit, I felt like they were too heavy and like I was getting tired while walking in them. So um, I went, no, 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 that's actually not right. That's the second pair of shoes that I bought already. So the first pair, the first pair that I had bought was normal hiking shoes, but without ankle support. Then someone convinced me, no, you need ankle support. So I went and got that second pair. Then after that, I realized, okay, no, they're too heavy. I went back to the, to the shop, bought the first pair again. <laughs> and then um, after that, like the night, literally before I left, I went into a, um, a runner's needs shop. And the guy in there told me, well, you shouldn't go with hiking boots at all to school with trail runners. Mm. And then I was there completely freaking out, completely getting anxious. It was like, I think, six o'clock at night before I was going to leave the next morning at like 4 a.m. And so, and then 10 minutes before their shop was going to close, I bought another pair of train runners. <laughs> and then the next morning, I literally left with those shoes that I hadn't walked in for more than five minutes and was getting like panic attack over panic attack on the way to the airport already because my feet were hurting like crazy. But like, I mean, looking back, I just... I had just tightened them too much. So we're, they were just too, um, um, not losing up, like not enough space. Yeah. But um, so the first day I was completely anxious about the whole shoe thing, about whether my feet were going to hurt or not. But um, I started to, you know, figure out how, how loose or how tight to fasten those shoes. And then I was fine, actually. I mean, I had some very good, very good insoles, which I would recommend to everyone as well. And um, I was fine. I didn't have a single blister, not a single, not even the tiniest little blister. I got one blister at my thumb from my hiking poles, but not a single blister on my feet. Well, my wife would say, Johanna, uh, a lady can never have too many pairs of shoes. So I don't think it's an issue that you were trying the different ones on and your formula and your pickiness over your selection of footwear seemed to work because you didn't have any blisters. Now, 
for those who are going to walk the coastal route of the the Portuguese Camino, um, you would recommend trail runners. Is that correct? I would, yes. I would generally, I think. I mean, I did hurt my ankles, but I don't think that was the trail runner's fault, but it's just that my ankles, they're just, you know, everyone has their weak points and my ankles are my weak points. And um, I ended up, like, because I actually, after after getting to Santiago, I decided to walk even further to Fisterra. And... Um, Nice. From nice. that point off, from from that point on, I had both my ankles in bandages, like an ankle bracket, <laughs> and um, for support. For support, no, and because I had actually hurt my right ankle, like about maybe five days in, I had hurt my. Well, I didn't roll over. I I googled it, and it, it, apparently it's called anterior ankle impingement, which ha- which happens when you. You don't roll over to the outside, but more like to the inside, and then the soft tissue that is between the two bones just gets squished. Whatever. So maybe some trail runners with ankle support. That's what you'd do if you were to do it again. I don't know if there is trail runners with ankle support. No, I would just take. Isn't we need to invent them? (laughs) Maybe, yeah. (laughs) But it is true that like ankle support does make you less flexible mm-hmm. and i don't know I, I think i would just pack the bandages and be even more careful having that in mind because i do remember that there was it was it was some some you know terrain where there was like stones and i had to go from walk from stone to stone and it wasn't even and everything and it happened that day and i probably I think it happened also on a day, like the first day was a word at more than 25 kilometers. So I was just, you know, take it easier the next time for the first days. And the good news is no blisters, but the bad news, uh, your ankles suffered a little bit. But um, I mean, that's part of the Camino, you know, they say no pain, no gain. And in some ways, the, that's the thing. Yeah, the, the suffering kind of makes it more satisfying in some kind of strange, um, twisted logic. But it, it does, you know, I mean, um, how, what was the furthest you walked every day, or the one? What was the furthest you walked in one day? Not that it matters; it's not a competition, but just because you you probably would never walk that far on an average day in London. So just to know, yeah. you know, what how far you pushed yourself past your preconceived limits. I mean, I had I had a point from like maybe ten days onwards where I thought that my body had worked through you know all its weak points, so um, my ankle had hurt. Then my right calf, then my left knee, then my right knee and everything. But after that, like, <laughs> sort of I had the chance to do that. And after that, I just sort of felt like I got that boost and I just mm. felt like super strong. And then when I arrived in Santiago and decided to go to Finisterre, I did that in three days because I was, I was, I had gotten so fast. And so the last stage of going into Finisterre um was actually i think it was like 36 kilometers because i decided to go to the lighthouse and back the same day and um so i think that was about 36 kilometers but didn't feel like that i I think after a while your body definitely toughens up to the task it acclimatizes to what you're doing to it daily um so for those people that are worried that maybe their their body doesn't have those kind of kilometers in them every day your body will surprise you there's no doubt about that and you will smash limits that you 
previously think you couldn't smash and um you're just proving that as well in 36 kilometers in one day and that's there that's a hard part of the trail between um santiago and finisterre i think that it's yeah, quite... there's that steep steep mountain mm. and there's that like um you have to work quite walk quite far between the albergs i can't remember what it is on the second day um but i think it's a good 30 something it's probably what, what you did as well so and up to the lighthouse and back that's three kilometers oh. up, up isn't it three kilometers back so um but yeah. For those thinking of going to finish there, um, what would you say, yes or no? Oh, definitely. It was the best part of the whole thing. I agree, yeah. yeah. Best yeah. part. I mean, like, I feel like it just, it got so touristicky, and there is all those groups, you know, that are being dropped off a bus just 100 kilometers before Santiago, so they can finish the last part of the Camino. And then you come into Santiago, and everything is like, you know, touristy, social media, selfies, loud music again. And um, it can be a bit, just not feel like the right place to be after such a long journey. So Finisterre is just incredible. It's just, it's, it's, you can't really cite it. It's, it, describe it. It's just, you know, like this little town and all the lost souls sort of find together there. It's a fitting lap of honour, isn't it? I think. It's it's just incredible. You go to a cafe, you just talk to everyone. I met so many amazing artists, painters, sculptures, so many people as well. I met like a friend that I still have contact with now, and it was just incredible. It was great. So I would recommend everyone to go there. Okay, there you heard it there. Johanna says definitely go to finish there if you have the time. Um, so you talked about some problems, your ankles and... Um, obviously deciding which was going to be the right pair of uh, trail runners or hiking boots to take with you. Um, some problems that people have to deal with would be getting some decent sleep in the Albergs. How was the Alberg experience for you? And have you any survival tips? I know, that's a tough one. <laughs> so I did have some nights in hotels, like maybe every fourth or fifth night or so i would just go into a hotel and then i would just you know get a good night's of sleep but um in the albergas i think well the most obvious thing earplugs you need earplugs and i know some people can't sleep with earplugs so maybe just you know start getting used to it a few weeks before like huh that's a really good tip really good tip. yeah i mean i've been sleeping with earplugs for the last six years so it wasn't an, i can't actually sleep without like i don't feel safe enough to sleep without earplugs <laughs> and um so that was an issue for me i had um a sleeping mask as well so i could go to bed at any time and people coming in at night with torches or headlights they wouldn't wake me up same goes for the people leaving at 3 a.m in the morning <laughs> And um, so those two things were really, really handy. And then when I did some nights, I would just get extra sheets or like extra blankets from the alberga and sort of build a cave, which you can do very easily when you're like in one of those lower bunk beds. You can just drop, um, you can just build yourself a curtain. And that, I think for me, it was mostly like a an issue of do I feel safe or do I not feel safe enough to sleep? So I would always, you know, go for the bats in the corners, go for the bats not in the not at the entrance. That's a brilliant tip as well. Very, very, very good. Yeah. And yeah, I would always have my K 
behave. And on those nights, I actually, I, I, I would say I slept as well as I slept in the hotels. So it was, it was less an issue of, do I have a good pillow or is it a good mattress? But rather than how, how comfortable do I feel? How, like, because I mean, that, that what it comes down to when your body wants to relax, right? So when it doesn't feel comfortable, you don't get out of that fight or flight mode. So I think it's, it's very funny because you've mentioned two of the obvious ones, which are the earplugs and the, the eye mask blindfold. Um, on our last podcast interview, a lovely lady called Sean Renee from Port Oregon, she mentioned that she brought a Turkish towel, which she draped over the lower bunk to act as a privacy screen. You've just mentioned doing the same thing with maybe yeah. getting an extra sheet or something like that. Um, yeah. Or maybe if you're yeah, walking... I'm it, yeah. not going to carry it with me because of that extra weight. Yeah, but yeah. Um, some nights I use my sleeping bag liner, but I sent that home after after a few days because I was just not using it. So I would just get like extra blankets or sheets. Yeah. So I mean, that's like um, that's a good kit list question as well because you've said that you wouldn't have been able to do without your earplugs. Uh, you yeah. said definitely these this extra sheet that you sometimes ask for from the albergue, they would you know you give you that and you could use that as a privacy screen. You tuck yourself into a corner where maybe so many people wouldn't be passing by. Sometimes you've got like a hundred people sleeping in these these albergues, um, especially on the Camino Frances, um, I do, did find the Camino Portugues was a bit quieter. But was there one other thing on your kit list you couldn't have done without? Um, well, I actually, I mean, you, you should know, I had like a really light backpack. It was barely five kilograms. It was like maybe four kilograms. Minimalist. Yes, yes completely even though I would not say I'm like that like in my normal day-to-day life but I knew right from the beginning you're not supposed to have like more than 10% of your body weight and when I did those two weeks five years but I had the worst pain on my shoulders hips everything everything hurt and I was carrying like what seven kilograms eight kilograms maybe so this time around I was like okay I'm going to take a really small backpack and I'm not going to take a single piece of kit's that I do not necessarily need. And if I need it, I'm going to research if I can't find like a lighter version of it. So literally everything that I took with me was um, very well thought over. And um, so I would actually say every single thing that I carried with me, I've really needed as well. But um, the most important thing maybe was... Hot one actually. Uh, what I really like was my. I had a second backpack, like a day pack backpack. Like you just roll. It was like barely what 130 grams, so super light, and that was so handy when I would go out at night or like in the afternoon to go food shopping or to go into a city. I would just have a small backpack, and I yeah, really like your homework there. Yeah, that's a really yeah. good thing to take. Because, um, <coughs> excuse me, on the I walked the Camino part of the Camino Portugues last December. And like you, um, I realized that I, you know, obviously you need something, you don't want to cart your big backpack around when you're no. staying in a city that you've, you know, you've been walking around with all day. So what I did was I used the stuff sock for my sleeping bag as like a knapsack and carried that over my shoulder. Cause you know, it's got like a, a little tire that you can tighten up as well. And 
Um, so I use that actually as my kind of. Uh, I would never even take a sleeping sack, like never. So, but yeah, looks like a sleeping sack. it was it was good for something at least then. Yes, yeah. Well, if you're walking the the Camino in December, you definitely need to have a sleeping bag with you because um, it's cold. It's very like, very cold. But like every place that I stayed in had blankets, and if one blanket is enough, you can have. Like some some places I stayed in, I had like five blankets because other people wouldn't use them, and I would just like have two blankets under the sheet so the mattress would be a bit softer, and then like three blankets on top of me. It was super cozy, super comfortable. I guess. And I didn't, yeah, sorry to interrupt. Come. Yeah, no, and I didn't have to carry a sleeping bag. As I said in the in the beginning, I had like a silk sleeping bag liner, mm -hmm. which is what some people recommended, and I spent so much money on it. But I even send that one home because I didn't use it. Also, you're so much quicker in the morning if you don't have to like wrap up a sleeping sack. So you just like get up, shower, and go. Not even shower. You just get up. You decide to give up being a violinist, and maybe you should think about planning and taking being a Camino guide because the stuff you're telling us about is absolutely brilliant. My next Camino, I'm going to do that. I'm not going to take a sleeping bag, and I'm going to. I'm going to chance it with those itchy blankets that you get in the Alberg sometimes. I mean, it's, it's a question of personal comfort, isn't it? If you don't mind having those, um, those, I, I found them to be quite itchy at times, those blankets. I'm not sorry, but you know what the point is? Most Albergas, you even get cotton sheets. If you're going, if you're going to the really sh you get, you get like paper sheets, but that might happen like one night and seven nights. And I was like, okay, I'm okay with that if it happens. And I mean, even if I don't get any sheets at all, I'm just going to like sleep in my clothes. And I mean, I washed my clothes every single day anyways. I would have a shower every single day anyways. So I was like, okay, like what, what's worse? Having to carry a sleeping sack that I might need one in seven nights or just like sleeping without any sheets, which did not happen a single night anyway. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, I, I, I put a lot of thought into it prior to, prior to um, leaving. You wouldn't think, like, the craziest thing, actually, that I had with me was um, I took some flip-flops, obviously. I didn't have, like, sandals. I just wanted to keep it really light. So I literally went for the lightest flip-flops that I could find. And then the night before I left, um, I went on Amazon. And well, it must have been, like, a couple of days before I left. And I went on Amazon, and I was just going flip-flops, seeing if I couldn't find something lighter still. And then I came across shower flip-flops, which is flip-flops with holes in them so the water can drain and um, I was like oh my goodness that idea is brilliant I need to have it and then I like wanted to order them but then um they would not have arrived in time for me to take them so um I took my Bosch electric <laughs> drill and drilled some holes into my flip-flops and then I had some shower flip-flops myself which I thought was really cool and they were actually, like, they worked really well. Okay, well, if there was one thing I thought that was going to come out of this interview, it wasn't drill holes in your flip-flops, but yeah. hey. Oh, I drill holes into my insoles as well, you know, to make them breathable. Yeah, yeah, if it, if it works for you and it made your Camino better, then, yeah, let's all start drilling holes in our flip-flops. Brilliant. As long as you wasn't doing it at 3 o'clock in the morning in London, I think your neighbours probably wouldn't appreciate that, but great <laughs> idea, great idea. Very resourceful, Johanna, very resourceful. Yeah, of course. I like it. That's why you've done so well on the Camino, most definitely. So the one thing you said you couldn't have done without would was um, that little bag that you can carry your stuff around with, a smaller backpack that weighs very little, um, the, the, the 
flip flops sorry flip flops easy for you to say or not me to say but the yep. flip flops with your um holes drilled in them um <laughs> and you said that you, so, you many of so I, I can't really i can't really like i had a spork as well like a combined spoon and fork which weighs it weighs 10 grams i think like made out of titanium it was brilliant and i had um a collapsible collapsible lunch box which i always like took my lunch in and then you, you know afterwards after eating you could just fold it together didn't take up any space that was great as well then i had um all my hiking poles i had bought two pairs of hiking poles as well because i had bought the first pair but then i went again um looked around a shop and then i found those hiking poles that i went with which were so much lighter so i spent a lot of money to get like a few hundred grams off and then um there's some one other thing oh yeah what i thought was really handy i had a pajama which sort of doubled as my afternoon wear so i could just you know i would wear that outside it just looked normal and yeah so that was i barely i think that's the reason that i like barely had five kilograms on my back so you optimized everything everything yeah so it was called a sport. I, I i thought okay like 10 percent of your body weight i would have like around five kilograms mm-hmm. that would be okay for my joints to just yeah because i think that's where blisters come from that's where injuries come from overwear muscles joints whatever so i knew i had to keep it light and um i did so it was uh, in many ways the your choices on your kit list were injury prevention and it sounds like it worked yeah, yeah, it definitely did. So just want to run over those last things you mentioned just for the listeners. Um, you It was called a spork, which is a combined a spork. spork. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, I'll look that up and I'll put a link on our Facebook page, Camino the Santiago Pilgrims podcast. And the other thing you mentioned was uh, the pajama. Was that a specific brand? Oh, I just had, well, I just had well, like of H&M. So it was like, it was just top and shorts combined. And I mean, because obviously I walked in, August, September, so I could just wear it outside. Okay, so you've been gone for a walk in your pajamas, then gone to bed. <laughs> uh, you're in the alberg. What was your favorite yeah. alberg on the Camino Portuguese, and why? My favorite alberg. It was probably the one in Finisterre, which is not technically on the Camino Portuguese anymore. So um, it was one in Finisterre, which is called Alberga de Sol or Son. This salt, I think, yeah. It was just a big house and there was a garden with lovely places to sit in. And Finisterre still can be busy if you stay right in the center. But that one was just great. There would always be, you know, they had like a communal, communal dinner every night and a yoga room, meditation room, good showers, good facilities, nice kitchen where you could cook and... The garden was just lovely, but it was because of the people that were there as well. So that was sort of one of the more artistry and less touristic key places in Finisterre. So Alberg, Finisterre, the Alberg de Sol, Finisterre. I'll put a link to that on our Facebook page for those going to Finisterre. You know you need to stay there for a bit of yoga, a bit of meditation, and a bit of a fellow pilgrim camaraderie. Um, yeah. Okay, so... Was there a place on the Camino Portuguese or on your way to Finisterre you didn't stop but wish you did stop? 
Um, no, I wouldn't say so. I mean, blessed are the unknown, right? <laughs> so, um, I didn't, I didn't do the Camino to, you know, get to as many historical sites as possible. For me, it was really just the way that I wanted to do. So, um, I saw many beautiful places, but for me, the beautiful places were more like, they could have been in like in the middle of a forest, completely uninteresting to anyone else. But for me in that moment, it would just be the forest or the nature or a particular place right at the sea where I would have my breakfast. So, um, I think I collected just to um, put it that way, like an amazing amount of those beautiful places. And for me, it was less about cities or monuments or churches or like the historical sites, um, but more about those places. And I think I, I got so many of them and it's beautiful having been there and like remembering the moments and like just the vibe of those places. So no, I, I, I don't think I missed out on anything. So you definitely have no regrets. No. No. Um, just to ask a question, did you, on the coastal Camino, uh, Portuguese Camino, sorry, do you pass through Sui and Valença? I did, yeah. Okay. Which, did you stay on either, which side of the border did you stay on and did you pass through there? Oh, that's a question. Um, let me look on the map. Um... Because I stayed in a place called, well, in Valença, which is on the Portuguese side of the border. And when I crossed over to the Spanish side in the morning, I was so happy that I'd stayed on the Portuguese side of the border because it was so much more beautiful, in, in my opinion, and a nicer place to stay. So anyone that's um, going to pass through there, my recommendation and my wife's recommendation would definitely be be the Valença on the Portuguese side there's a fortress overlooking kind of a misty river really really spectacular setting um so yeah how about you did you stay around that area or did you just pass through well, I, I crossed over into I actually I have to apologize I actually did not come through to me in Valencia because um I only went into like inside the country at like Redondela so I stayed on the coast all the way wow. up to um, Caderas, Nicran, um, Oya, Vigo, and then from Redondela, Pontevedra, only from there. Um, that's when like the coastal road joins the central route. And all the way So you did pass through Valencia um, and you... You said there wasn't a place you didn't stop because you did, but is there one thing you wouldn't, sorry, you would do differently if you were to walk the Camino again? No. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to say that, actually. You seem pretty sure everything you did. Um, um, I, I think I would take it, um, I would take it a bit slower the first day. But I mean, I did that anyway. So I purposely just did 12 kilometers the first day and I purposely um, planned in a break, like a full day off, like on day five or so, right from the beginning. And which turned out to be necessary because of my ankle. Like I completely hurt myself so badly that I thought that I had to go home. Um, but 
no, I think after all, like looking back, I'm, I'm not quite sure about my choice of trade runners. Like I might go again with them because I mean, I didn't get a blister and I only hurt like my ankles. So I would say that's a pretty, it's a pretty good summary. But um, no, I think I'm pretty, there, there's a few things that I, so I went to the post office three times to send things back from my really light backpack anyways. So it became even lighter and lighter and lighter. So those things I would not take again, which is my sleeping bag liner or um, what was it? I had three pairs of socks. So I sent one back. I only had two anymore. I had too much underwear. So I sent some of that home as well. Um, so just carry maybe just uh, the things that you discarded along the way. You wouldn't carry those again. No, I, I wouldn't take them. And we, we did touch on this at the start and we talked about how different life is on the Camino to everyday life. I mean, whether you're working, um, let's say, a, a, a more conventional job, which might be an office job or a nine-to-five kind of scenario, or whether you're a musician like, like you and I, and specific, specifically you, because this interview is all about you. Um, and obviously you're in, you're in the spotlight, you're in the limelight all the time. You've always got to be self-promoting on social media. So even when you're off stage, you kind of still in the spotlight. Um, and it feels like, you know, everyone's getting a little piece of you throughout the day. Yes. Um, you're always giving, 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 giving. Yeah. Um, and that can be fulfilling and, and gratifying, but at the same time, quite mentally tiring. So what did your time away from that give you? What did it yield in terms of your body, in terms of your mental well-being, in terms of insights? Was there anything you walk along thinking, well, I'm going to do less of that and I'm going to do more of that. I'm going to change this. Was there anything, any big takeaway that, you know, some, some way you evolved on the road? There, there were several, and I only got to have these, you know, realizations because I was on my own all the time. I don't think, I met so many people, you know, who bodied up with the first best travel buddy, and then they would just stick together for the whole time. And um, I always like, I mean, of course, each to their own, but I always wouldn't understand those people because I mean, in the end, you only get such a chance like so many times in your lifetime. And I wouldn't say to waste it because that sounds quite harsh, but like to give away that time to some person that you just happen to bump into. Um, so yeah, back to my realizations. I had a few, which is first of all, I need to take care of myself. If I don't take care of my needs, then um, my body's just going to demand them later. So, I mean, on the Camino, obviously, that was things like putting on sunscreen, or I would get a sunburn, drinking enough, or I would get a heat stroke, eating enough, or I would get weak, such things. But obviously, they can be applied to bigger things in life as well. So, taking a break when your body needs it. Um, the second thing was no matter how fast I walk, there's always someone in front of me and there's always someone behind me as well. And even 
if I managed to, you know, walk faster than everyone in front of me in that day and on that particular day, there are still going to be the people who started in the next city. So they're still going to be in front of me because I, um, I think for my whole music thing, I'm like a really competitive person. And, um, even during the first days of the Camino, I would sort of catch myself like being rushed, trying, trying to, you know, um, how do you say that? Trying to walk faster than everyone and be at the alberga um, faster and everything. So um, that was a pretty big learning that I had, like to realize it doesn't matter how fast I walk, other people are always going to be in front and behind. And yeah, there were many other things. Like one big thing was um, the company of other people, because it happens quite easily, obviously, that you start talking to other people and you have dinner with them you might walk with them and it might be okay for you in that particular moment, but you also might want to be alone. And I've really had to learn to set boundaries to really say if I wanted to be alone and not to feel bad for saying no to people or being like, well, no, I hope you don't take it personally, but I want to be alone right now. Please, please go. <laughs> but no, obviously I would, I wouldn't say it like that, but in that kind of, kind of way, if that makes sense. So yeah, that was something really good that I learned. So would you learn, would you say that you learned that, um, you, well, obviously you spend so much time around other people, sometimes surrounded by 600 to 2000 people, 6,000 people. So that time on your, on your own, on the Camino was sacred for you. Yes. Yes. And would you say, um, were you, were you always so comfortable in your own company or was it something that you managed to kind of hone on the Camino? What do you mean if I was comfortable in my own company? Yeah. Yeah. Was it something you became better at on the Camino? Was that, that was that, has that always been the case? No, 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 I am always comfortable in my own company. For me, it was more that, um, the company of other people gets too much for me very, very quickly. So I can... Yeah, sounds like you're an introverted extrovert. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah, I read some things about that, but yeah. 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 Um, and, and also, what's interesting, because a lot of female, potential female pilgrims, they one of their biggest concerns is safety, and they're always saying the complete opposite of you actually You're like will i find someone someone to walk with should i be part of a, a group oh i'm not no you feel safe that's the question yes i felt completely safe i mean some there was one morning where i didn't feel safe so in the beginning i had a hard time sleeping for me like the whole um but that's like completely going back like half an hour now the whole there was another big reason why i decided to do the Camino, which was connected with troubles with food that I had. So in the beginning, I like the first few days, obviously there wasn't like my sort of safe food around the foods that I knew. Okay, agreed with me and my body. So I started eating other things, and due to that, I had a hard time sleeping at night because my body was just reacting to those things. I think reacting to the sun, to whatever. So I had a hard time sleeping at night. So one night I would literally just 
get up at 3 a.m. and start walking. And obviously it was completely dark and I had to walk past a highway and um, there wasn't even lights on that high. So it was just completely dark and there would be cars passing by like every few minutes. And I was so scared. I was so scared that in the beginning, I hid from every car that approached me <laughs> and I would just, you know, climb over, climb over the, the barrier and um, so that the cars couldn't see me. But then I thought, okay, that's a bit ridiculous. Then I, um, then I called my mother and I would just like spend a few hours on the phone with her until, until it, it got, like it got, um, until dawn and, um, it got bright outside. So then I was good to go along. But I mean, actually, because I didn't, I didn't have a headlight as well. Because you know, why carry it when you have a flashlight on your phone? <laughs> and but no, other than that, I felt completely safe. Fantastic. So the, the moral of this story is, you you will be safe most of the time. But yes. probably walking along the highway at three o'clock in the morning on your own isn't a good idea. Mm-hmm. But it was a good good story to tell, though. Good adventure. Yeah, and I mean, it was it was yeah, it was an adventure. And that's one thing you definitely wouldn't do again if you were to walk the Camino again. Well, I mean, I ended up doing it again a few nights. So after it was just after that, I just became more. I became more. I, I would just, you know, not cling on to other people, but I would like do what I called. No, I can call it that way, but I sort of had that term in my mind, like light surfing. I would just go from group to group because everyone would carry headlights, obviously. So as long as you're like maybe like a hundred meter behind them or like. A few meters like in front of them you can use their lights and then you can just go to the next group of people who have a light and yeah so that's what i did in the mornings <laughs> sounds like you worked out everything you need to do for exactly every certain point of the camino at every time of the day as well um you had it all figured out um so um you, you mentioned food in your last answer and maybe some of the food was a bit different for you but was there something you found along the route in portugal or on your way to fitness there a spanish food or portuguese dish that you thought oh, i wish i could take that home or find that in london or, or germany well two things actually i mean i mainly ate meat on my camino because um yeah like food and meat is like a whole other story so i had a lot of meat which I really enjoyed because obviously the meat in Spain is so cheap. So you can get like a profound 400 gram steak for eight euros or nine euros, which is just amazing. And so that was just brilliant. And the coffee there, it was so much better as well than it is in London. It's it's, it's like a lighter fuel, isn't it? The, the, the Portuguese coffee, if you have one of those, you're like, right, I can walk 500 miles today. Well, I mean, I only had decaf. I only ever decaf anyways but it, it's so much it even had like a like home on it and i mean in london the decaf that you got it's just disgusting and i actually quit drinking coffee here after that because it was just so gross well you know us british aren't very famous for our um for our food you know so uh, we're still working on that one <laughs> we're okay with music we've got some very good bands but our food fish and chips mm, not sure we can compete with the italians but or with the german frankfurters but anyway um, so the Spanish food of this, so you like the meat. Um, what about in Portugal? Anything you liked in Portugal in particular? I do have to admit, I I am not always a person to deeply dive into a food culture of a country. So, I mean, I travel a lot anyways, and I always 
really quickly just try and find a supermarket to buy my own stuff when I'm somewhere and that's what I did in Portugal as well so I would just go to the supermarkets mainly cook dinner have some leftovers for breakfast and lunch the next day and yeah when I would go to the restaurants I would just always tell them I want a steak and please put cheese and bacon on it and two eggs and yeah that's that's like a few words that I learned as well so I could just tell them what I wanted really quick what can you remember them all meat is um carne right yeah yeah for cheese bacon everyone understands that's international and egg was I don't know but then yeah, I didn't have to learn that. Yeah, they, I mean, obviously, um, most people that work in the, the, the hospitality industry will know those those words anyway. Um, so, what about on the street in Spanish or Portuguese? Some word that, that kind of got you out of trouble or you thought, I would definitely tell someone to learn that word if they're going to go and walk. Yeah, descafeinados. <laughs> okay, so decaffeinated. Yeah, so they would not know decaf. They would not know the word caffeine or coffee or coffee without caffeine. So yeah, descafeinados. Descafeinados or Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, descafeinado. Yeah. So you can say cafe con leche descafeinado, and that will get your coffee without the uh, without the lighter fuel in it, which is what you get often in, in Portugal. So descafeinado. Okay, so. We're, we're near to the part of, of wrapping this up, uh, Johanna, and some of the stuff you said has been so, so useful. What would you say for you is... Get um, in touch if you have my packing list. Excuse, sorry? Get in touch if you want to have my packing list. I would that- love your packing list. In fact, yes, that was going to be my next question. Please can have your packing list. Okay. Um, <laughs> that would be great. Yeah, love, love to see that. And maybe you can send it, and we'll put it out on our Facebook page so everyone else can have a look at it and say, hmm, that's how you walk it like Johanna did, just completely optimized. Brilliant. Um, what would you say for you was the hardest part of the Camino? I mean, you've already alluded to the part that during the summer, it can actually be hard to to find time alone. Um, I found that as well when I walked it in summer. And what, what about in the, something else that was really hard? Well, for me, there was two points. There was like one of the main reasons that I, um, that I decided to do this, which I said was the whole food thing and just like off protocol, if you think that's like too personal for your podcast, then just cut it out. But um Sorry, I didn't that I lost that last part in, in the audio. What what was what did you say? Sorry? I, I said there's this one reason also that led me to do this this year. Yeah. And, which is at the same time a really personal one. So if you feel like it's too personal you just have to cut it out of your podcast. Okay, well, you can, I mean, this is often part of uh, a, a pilgrim's journey is that they're trying to, you know, they heal something inside or or trying to understand something, make sense of something. Could be a question, could be anything, um, an experience. So, it, yeah, I mean, let, if you are okay to disclose this, then, you know, I think some people might be able to relate to it. Yeah, yeah, maybe. So for me, it was, um, I have been struggling, you know, with like eating disorders for about eight years, maybe. And particular, like the last years, it went into a direction that I, due to physical, medical things as well, I had to go on a specific diet. 
but that just caused me to lose more and more weight. And then sort of like those old eating disordered thoughts kicked in really strongly. And um, I just, prior to going on the Camino, I just felt like I actually was in no shape at all to do this. Like I was severely underweight, really weak, not sleeping most nights, having like really big digestive pain and everything. And um, so I thought, okay, I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to exhaust myself so much physically that I do not have another choice other than to eat what is there. Because, I mean, if you don't eat, at some point you die, right? And so um, that was like a main thing for me. So obviously I struggled with that a lot. So that was one of the hard things for me that... um, in the first days, I would try and cling onto the foods that I regarded as safe. But then at some point, they were just not there. And then um, I hurt my ankle, as I mentioned already. And I hurt it so badly that I literally, I, I think I walked like with one or two kilometers per hour, like step by step, heavily supported by my, um, my hiking poles. And on that day, I knew that I had to do like a distance of 10 kilometers and my very smart book said that there's nothing to like buy food, nowhere to buy food. So I, um, when I was leaving the town, that was, that was like the first stage that I did in Spain. So when I was leaving the town that I had stayed in, you know, how, how like in Spain, it's, it's like in those small towns, they hang bread in like plastic sacks on the doorknobs in the morning. And that's how they sell their bread. And I knew I didn't have like any food with me other than like a small piece of meat. And I knew as well, there was like 10 kilometers that I had to walk now in like a tempo of one kilometer or two kilometers per hour because I had hurt my ankle and I literally could not walk. And um, that was actually... That was the day when I decided, okay, I have to, I have to eat other food other than the food that I feel comfortable and safe with. So that was like a big internal struggle. But like the one thing that happened on the outside, which was like um, hurting my ankle, actually then pushed me to having no choice other than eating other foods. And then um, I realized, okay, even though that was that day where I thought, okay, this might be over for me because I could really, I could not walk. I, I walked slower than my grandmother. I walked so slowly. It was like unbelievable. And everyone that like, everyone that walked by, like looked at me and was like, are you okay? One woman gave me painkillers. The other ones were like, okay, can, can we help you? Like what's wrong? Because I literally... You would you would have not thought that I was a pilgrim because I just walked so slowly, and um, yeah. But that day was actually where I realized, okay, I might have lost like the whole Camino challenge, but that food challenge I sort of won on that day. So um, that was that was crazy. That was like such a roller coaster of emotions because on the one side I was terribly sad that I thought okay maybe this is really over for me even though I had wanted to do it for so many years it might be over because I just hurt my ankle so badly but then I realized okay I actually I gained so much and I 
I won so many battles or I won this one really big battle. Was that a turning point for you? Yeah, it was. It was from that moment on from where I had, um, first of all, I had accepted the pain. I had accepted my temple for that day. So I had accepted that it was no more than like two kilometers per hour and that it was just step by step. And from that moment on, it got better. And yeah, I got less anxious about, you know, my food choices and everything. And has the Camino helped you with that since you've returned to London? Well, that's that's a whole other story <laughs> but it's definitely helped you show that you can win the battle and you you can break it break through that pain point yeah yeah i mean it's shown you it can be done essentially yeah that's that's correct so in that time yeah it, it shows you also what you yourself are capable of and how strong you really are and that you can mm -hmm. actually do like everything as long as you stay aware and set your mind to it. Well, I mean, I sincerely wish you that that experience on the Camino and the whole Camino experience in general helps you with that, um, let's say, with that challenge. Um, but, you know, most, of, um, most people say in challenging times that, you know, in every problem lies an opportunity as well. And I think you took that opportunity and I hope you continue to... Oh find the opportunity in the problems um, because you know we we can all through everything that challenges us in life we can all grow and become bigger better and stronger um, and like something that I learned that a everything that happens happens for a reason even if you don't see it right now and b that all the things they're going to play themselves out. They're going to be fine at some point, even if you don't know how you're going to get there, but it's going to be fine. And yeah, that's something really essential. I think just that sort of trust in life, that the things that do happen, happen for a reason. Because it's in the end, if it, it probably is leading you to something bigger and better than you could have ever, ever have dreamed of. And and just trusting that it's part of the journey to get to somewhere where we need to be, even though if we can't feel it or see it or believe it at that point. Um, and um, I, I'm no professional in in those kind of challenges that, that certain people have to deal with. I, I did have a friend that had a very similar challenge, and she came through the other side, and, and she's now married with, with kids and, and extremely happy. Um, but in her early twenties, it was a very tough time for her, um, and but she got through it. And I am sure the Camino is going to help you get through it. You're a high achiever. Um, obviously, you know your musical career is is reaching extraordinary heights. Um, and you know, I, I do believe that if you can achieve what you've achieved in music, you'll you'll achieve anything. You know, and this is. Um, just about finding the, you know, the opportunity in, in the problem. And, you know, I'm sure all of, our, all of our listeners wish you all the best with, with that challenge. And I can't thank you enough for being brave enough to share that with, with me. You don't know me from Adam, as we say in England, and um, for sharing it with your, your fans and followers, because I know you've got quite a, a, a big 
following on it on Instagram and online. So it's going to be a chance for your your fans and followers to get to know you a bit better as well. So it's very brave of you for sharing that. So you know, very very grateful for being so candid. Um, and let, for those listeners that that haven't um, heard of you before, is there a place where they can find you on, online that you'd like to to mention? Yeah, sure. I mean, there's my Instagram, which is sort of like more insights of my day-to-day life and my work. Then there's videos on YouTube from concerts. There's my website, which is probably just the most official thing with all the concert dates. And yeah, my Facebook, which I do not use as much as my Instagram, though, I have to say. And yeah, that's probably it. Okay. Well, I'll put links to all of those those on our Facebook page so people can click on them and, and see you in action and, and stay in touch with you. Um, so I, I really hope that Camino experience is going to, you know, put you onto new heights professionally and personally. Thank you so much for the last hour and seven minutes of your very valuable time, Johanna. Um, like I say, everything about you will be on our Facebook page, Camino the Santiago Pilgrims podcast. The last thing I need to say is thank you very much. As they say in Portugal, muito obrigado. As they say in Spain, muchas gracias. In your homeland, uh, it will be dankeschön if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And in yeah. London, it's a tar very much. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, the, the, it is. The, the pleasure was all mine. And as we say in London, always a pleasure, never a chore. So, um, Johanna, thank you very much for your time. Bom Camino. <laughs> So just to summarize those key Camino carryouts from that interview with Johanna. So she started in Porto, the Camino Portuguese in Porto. She flew there from London and she went straight on to the coastal route from there. She didn't get one blister and her secrets were that she wore trail runners not boots and she had some special inner soles that helped make that happen. She recommends going to Finisterre, which she said was the best part of the Camino. If you don't know where that is, if you carry on three days towards the Atlantic coast after you arrive in Camino de Santiago, you're going to see what the um, before the Americas were discovered, what the Europeans believed to be the end of the world because they didn't know that beyond there was the America, South America, before Columbus had made his uh, intrepid journey across the Atlantic. Um, that was believed to be the end of the world and I think it is the second most western point in Europe apart from the Azores right in the middle of the the Azore Islands right in the middle of the Atlantic which are owned by Portugal Um, so yes she recommends you go there and I recommend you go there too it's absolutely amazing the sunset is as big as the sky and it will blow you away so we definitely agree on that one as being a great lap of honour for your Camino her survival tips in the Elberg were, if you get tired on the every fourth or fifth night, maybe stay in a hotel to get a break from it. Um, maybe get some extra sheets to drop um, in front of your bed so you can make a privacy screen if you're in the bottom bunk. And she also recommends, if you get there early enough, look for a bunk in a quiet corner away from the main entrance or away from any noisy staircases, as well as the obvious ones of taking your sleep, uh, sorry, should I say, your 
earplugs and of course your blindfold um, she says and this is the first pilgrim I've come across has mentioned this but very good idea um, that you don't take a sleeping bag and you use the sheets now um, just want a word of warning to this sometimes I found those blankets and sheets in the albergs to be a little bit itchy not too kind um, on your skin or not really comfortable to sleep with but if you're willing to take that risk and you think you get more benefit from having less weight in your backpack then you might want to try that I'm thinking of trying that on my next um, Portuguese Camino which I'm going to do very very soon with my wife Rachel as a little bit of a research trip so um, she recommends you wear flip-flops when you're done walking through the uh, floor of the day also something called a spork which is a combined spoon and fork so obviously you carry less weight there. I've put a link to this product on our Facebook page, which is El Camino de Santiago Pilgrims podcast. And you'll see that on there. So just go there. Give us a little thumbs up while you're there. That would be lovely. She also recommended taking a collapsible lunchbox to carry your food with. Obviously, um, she had some pajamas which could double up as some evening wear. So again, less weight to carry there absolutely brilliant idea and a great way to optimize your kit list um, she said 10% of your body weight now I've heard different things about this about how much you should carry in your backpack now the general rule is most some people say 10% around that figure and there's also a school of thought that says if you're a smaller person you can actually carry a bit more than that because you have a lower center of gravity but I think the key is to experiment spend some time walking before you go on your first Camino experiment with different weights on your back and you can kind of see how you feel most comfortable I'd definitely recommend walking for a good three to four hours seeing how your shoulders feel but 10% of your body weight is a good place to start definitely so uh, I am actually 78 kilograms six foot one so mine would be 7.8 something like that okay 7.8 kilograms I'm sure you can do the maths on that one the alberg that she recommends is the albergue do sol and that's in Finisterre okay I've put a link to that on our Facebook page as well so if you go to Finisterre definitely look up that place okay now if you want to follow Johanna then please look on our Facebook page I'm gonna put links to her YouTube links to her Facebook um, links to her musicians page as well and you can look for her on Instagram as well okay so thank you very much for listening to this podcast episode number 11 I'm absolutely delighted to be receiving some lovely messages on our Facebook page and also to see that we have people tuning in from all over the world and just looking at our analytics on there I can see that we have listeners in America as I mentioned before 34% of my listeners are over there across the pond in America so to all you guys over there thank you very much 20% um, are in Australia so good day over there um, I've got 8% in the UK in my home territory so how you doing um, in New Zealand I don't know what you say there but thank you very much in Spain muchas gracias por escuchar thanks for listening in Canada um, you guys too in Brazil muito obrigado in Sweden Tucson in Egypt 
guess you speak French there as well. So merci beaucoup in Japan. Um, thanks a lot. My my um, thank yous don't extend to Japanese in Morocco. I guess we can get away with French if you're in Morocco. So uh, merci beaucoup in South Africa. How's it? In Germany, Dankeschön. In Ireland, top of the morning or the day to you. In Belgium, Dankeveld. In Portugal, Moito Brigade. In Norway, Dusentak. Those of you in the Netherlands, Dankeveld. In Israel, I wouldn't know how to say that in Hebrew, to be honest with you. But thank you very much as well, because I know your English is always in Colombia. Muchas gracias. In Mexico, the same guys, the same to you. Igual a vosotros. In Finland, Tusentak, France, super cool. Denmark, Tusentak, Peru, muchas gracias. I think you get the picture. Wherever you're listening, thank you so, so, so much. It's an absolute honor and a pleasure. And we've also had some absolutely lovely reviews go on to our, our pages as well on our Facebook page. So it would be wonderful if you could leave us a review on there as well. Give us a five-star review on iTunes as well. That would be absolutely brilliant. So until next week when we have a lovely interview with an author, Camino de Santiago author, a guy called Alastair Wilson, who's from Scotland, walked the Camino in 2015. Lovely man. You're really going to enjoy that interview as well. Lots of useful stuff for you to take away. So until next week, buen camino, fellow peregrinos.